It's a great honor today to uh, welcome Phil Ryan, founder of Pacific Coast Design, speaking with us from Australia. Good afternoon, good evening, Phil. Good afternoon, Eric. Nice well, to thank meet you. Very much. Thank you very much for taking the time out of your busy schedule. Really appreciate it. Not a problem. Look forward to it. Okay. Well, you know, obviously you're a legend in the industry of for the, for those of us in the know i'll just launch into a few questions um you've been in the golf course design for the past uh, 34 years what are the major changes that you've seen since those early days well that's a big question there's been so many but uh for pd you know for pacific coast design directly i guess technology has had a major impact that has seen us go from a company that used to have around 10 people to now doing more design work with half that number. We'd always had the latest computers, but now we do not need to digitize site contours nor design, and we rarely need to plot plans to send to clients, as this is all done by PDF files now. I can still remember the mad panic every Friday afternoon to get plan tubes ready to send by a courier overseas, as we did not want to waste the weekend days. The golf architects I know have always had a deep respect for the environment, but now we have a lot more tools and information to insist presenting such important issues to developers and clubs. How golf impacts and enhances the local, regional and global environment is now more widely discussed, which is really a good thing. Another aspect in golf generally, we've all seen an increase in the distance a golf ball goes due to technology and how this has impacted golf course design through probably their request for clients for longer courses. Although now we have many clients that understand that a longer golf course is not often the most successful. Golf architecture has thankfully moved towards having more fun being incorporated along with the more traditional strategy and challenges and hopefully we'll see more of this occurring if golf is to retain its popularity. Personally as a golf architect a big impact has been travel and communication. Apart from recent months due to COVID-19 Paul Reeves and I have always travelled a lot often every say eight to ten weeks and each trip covering anywhere from three to five different countries. In the early days we used to have have to book international calls back home uh, or to the office through hotel switchboards and travel took twice as long to visit half the number of clients. Now with internet accessibility we book our own travel and communicate easily giving us far more quality time with both clients and family when home. So I guess those are the major impacts that I've seen. Those are big changes. Now, you and your fellow uh, golf architect and partner, Paul, Paul Reeves, uh, you're heavily involved in the Asian region for many years. And how do you see the golf industry recovering from the COVID-19 impact? If there were an, a vaccine available within the next few months, then a lot of what we're hearing may just disappear. But if COVID-19 is with us into next year, then many countries may rethink a lot of what they did in the past. This may be a bit of a wake-up call for the whole global community. 
as our societies have been advancing at such a rapid rate, and issues like global warming, the environment and health have been tend to be pushed into the background. Reading online regional newspapers over the past few months, which I've had plenty of time to do, you can see a, a trend of Southeast Asian countries talking more about high-end tourism, of which obviously golf is a component, and less about mass tourism. So I think there's awareness now that maybe mass tourism can result in damage to local environment, as, as well as the obvious health risks associated with, say, buffet dinners, bus travel, low-end accommodation. So high-end tourism relies more on smaller groups or couple travel, table service dinners and longer stays. So if these tourism authority discussions are translated into action, then golf in Asia is in a good position to benefit. I think there'll probably be more mid to high level, high-end travel from Europe and USA to Asia, and this will in turn translate to more golf rounds at golf courses that are set up for such tourists. Countries like Thailand and Vietnam, for example, have clearly demonstrated that they have systems that can result in low infections. And this is attracting a lot of interest in Europe and the USA, where other more regional tourist destinations have had a significant outbreaks of COVID-19. So many of the golf courses across Asia will need to rethink how they operate and also consider facilities, service, and condition to attract uh, the new age of tourist arrivals rather than just keep lowering green fees to attract golfers, which they've tended to do in the past. Well, that's interesting. So you see a, a net benefit possibly for uh, golf tourism and high-end golf tourism into the Asia-Pacific region. I think so. The, you know, the local market's going to uh, you know, be maintained. But the all-important tourist dollar uh, is going to be a little bit different. And I think golf courses and golf clubs need to be aware of that and, and try and uh, set themselves up for it. I know that uh, Pacific Coast Design was one of the founding members of the Indian Golf Industry Association over 10 years ago and has completed many projects in India for, the, for since, uh, since 1993. What made India one of target markets for Pacific Coast Design? It, uh, it probably came, I spent many months backpacking across India when I was 19, and uh, <laughs> it did leave a significant impression on me. That was a long time ago, I can tell you. While I was in India, I also visited a few golf courses because I've always been keen on golf. I met some really nice people, which gave me a bit of an understanding of the market. So in 1992, when PCD was looking to expand into Asia, I made an exploratory visit and I was lucky. It just so happened I met an industrialist who wanted to redevelop an existing golf course uh, that was actually established by his grandfather and he was doing it more as a family trust scenario. So when we got that, after that, we just kept going and we got introduced to other people and while we saw the golf market was not large, it did have opportunities and we're lucky we've managed to get a project every year or so from that time onwards. One of the key factors, I suppose, was the language, with English being spoken widely. So this made working with clients far easier. 
than when we had to have interpreters like in, you know, some other countries. Another plus was that we really enjoyed working with the people we met. They were passionate about their golf and their cricket, both key mm. sports in Australia. So we made friends easily and many such, such friendships are still going today. Both Paul and I have attended weddings of clients' children in, in India, for instance. That's a real experience, I can tell you. So <laughs> that's how we got going. Well, you, you said you were lucky, but we always say that you make your own luck. And obviously, it, it's panned out well. Having traveled to India and met uh, some of your partners, uh, they really have a, a deep love and respect for you and your team. So obviously, it's worked out well, and it's great to see. Um, you know, uh, Pacific Coast Design are also members of the Asian Golf Industry Federation. Uh, how does this compare with the Indian Golf Industry Association, and where do you see the different organizations' strengths? Well, Paul and I have been impressed with the way the AGIF has developed over the past few years, and especially with its focus on education across many Asian markets. Uh, this process has and is raising standards, which really in turn assists the industry. I guess I see the AGIF as more of an umbrella association. As you know, I attended you know a few conferences in Malaysia and Thailand, so. I've had first-hand experience of uh, how AGIF is uh, impressed in those markets. When we started the Indian Golf Industry Association, it was really always intended to be solely focused on trying to bring the Indian industry together in one forum. For education, yes, but to more set standards and also raise awareness of the industry to government. Because in those days, uh, it was a very scattered industry and by bringing them together has really helped. And of course, when I was vice president of the Indian Golf Industry Association, one of the key things to do was to sign an associate agreement with AGIF so that we could promote uh, the educational programs. And we've had success in that. And I think there's at least six Indians that are currently doing the club management program through Indeed. AGIF. Yep. And, you know, we've also had several uh, golf superintendents attend the turf management programs in Malaysia. So we see the two organisations are really very complementary and not competing at all. Well, it, it, I, I can obviously verify that it is a great relationship that you've started and it's going from strength to strength. We, we're in contact with your colleagues there and the whole industry in general and, and your, uh, your influence has helped us a lot in India, and it's a great cooperation. So um, both yourself and Paul are keeping busy uh, currently uh, during this COVID time, and how are you currently servicing your clients with the travel restrictions and challenges? Well, with the arrangements in Australia, we've now fully set up from our individual homes, and we've linked our team through the cloud, which has allowed us to continue working fairly seamlessly using frequent video chats and computer sharing. Um, it's interesting. We've, you know, also invested in software that's allowed us to actually be uh, more productive than what we were in the office environment. Mm. Many of our clients have been working from home and they're in touch via Skype, WhatsApp, Line, Zoom or WeChat, depending on their country and origin. Uh, it's interesting that when you first start looking at, at making a change like that, how much you have to review. It's like cleaning out 
you know, uh, you know, the spare room at home. <laughs> you go through everything and everything gets questioned. So for us, that process of moving home has been very positive. Our last site visits were in late January, early February this year. But I feel we're actually more in touch with clients now than, you know, before that. We've got three golf projects in construction phases. We've got 18 holes in Thailand near Phuket, the Aquella Golf Resort. We've got 18 holes in Vietnam near Hanoi. We've got another 18 holes near Hyderabad in India. Um, we also have uh, two golf projects in the final phase of tendering, 18-hole public golf course in Brisbane, Australia, and a new 18-hole public golf course again in Delhi in India, the DDA Dwarka project. So we hope to be hearing from both of those within the next four weeks to see when the construction starts there. Uh, adding to those are the projects we're still working on or hoping to get. We're all, we always live in hope, Eric. Uh, <laughs> obviously, several of those have stopped with COVID-19, but uh, we're still active and, and certainly inquiries have probably slowed down over the past two months. But in the last week, we've put in for two different projects. So it's still there. It's, it's just a little bit slower than what we're used to. Well, Phil, it seems like your pipeline is still fairly robust, and, and it, I know you don't have uh, any intention of retiring in the near future, but maybe you can share with us that after, after 34 years in the golf industry, some of your, what are your strongest memories? Well, I think that's fairly easy. Firstly, you know, it's just people, Eric. Uh, yeah. We're very, very lucky in that we get to meet a wide range of people who want to work with us. In the area, we're very passionate about golf. We have uh, lifelong friends who are, are clients, a lot of industry people, construction people, and other golf architects, which some people find surprising, but we don't. Uh, we mix very well with the other golf architects. From, you know, I remember motorised rickshaw races at 1am in the morning back to the hotel after the last day of a golf show in Bangalore in India. I won't tell you who was involved, but you know most of them. <laughs> or to the Joint Golf Architect Association tours we started over 10 years ago between the European Institute of Golf Course Architects, the American Society of Golf Course Architects, and the Society of Australian Golf Course Architects. And we've had fantastic tours of anywhere between 50 to 80 people, golf architects, uh, in Australia, the USA, and Europe. And, you know, such meeting fellow industry people at a local bar after a conference. If you remember, after that one in Johor Bahru, we, we, we all sat down and, you know, just chatted. And it was really very pleasant. You know, you spent one or two hours after that. Certainly. So that's, you know, sort of mostly talking about the work we all love. I suppose secondly is the satisfaction of seeing a golf project open and grow over the years into what we had envisaged as its full potential. Often Paul or I sit in a clubhouse overlooking a PCD, a PCD golf course that's just opened or just about to open. And, you know, it's very pleasing to know that you've done the best you can to set it up to be sustainable in the long term. Um, we enjoy playing golf on those golf courses. We don't get as many opportunities overseas 
to play our courses as we like, but that's uh, that's really a good part of it. All in all, we're just extremely lucky to be part of a golf industry and be doing a job that we really love. Well, Phil, that's such a, a refreshing message. Um, and uh, I thank you for it. I know that you have a client call coming up, so you have a limited time. So I'd just like to thank you for spending time with us, sharing some expertise and some advice and some, some thoughts from your heart from the time uh, today. And um, as I always say I, to in, in these interviews, I hope to be able to see you face-to-face uh, -face sooner rather than later. <laughs> oh, that'd be wonderful. Well, we're hoping to, we've got no real dates of when Australia will open up for international travel and when we can get over, but as soon as we can, we will. And uh, we look forward to that as well. All right, Phil. Uh, thank you very much once again and stay safe. Not a problem, going. Eric. You too. Thanks very much for your time. Bye. All right, sir.